John Lee would often recommend that when you begin meditating, take several deep, long, in and out breaths. Because you want to boost the breath energy in the body. And there's a tendency that as the mind gets more calm, the breath gets more and more shallow. And so you want to make sure that you're not depriving the body of its breath needs. As I said earlier, he discovered the breath meditation method when he was sick and had no other medicine. This was his Dharma medicine. This was an instance of taking refuge in the Dharma out in the forest with nothing else to depend on. This is one of the principles of the forest tradition, is that when you're out there, you begin to realize what your resources are and the ways in which you used to depend on other people. They're not there. And so it forces you to look inside to see what potentials you have. And so he explored his breath. And he discovered a lot of things that are useful for us to use in our explorations of our own mind or a sense of our body from within. As you bring mindfulness together with the breath, you know, the alertness that's involved in mindfulness, that's the present of the mind. And of course the breath, in and out breath, is the present of the body. If you're with the breath coming in and going out, you know you're in the present moment because there's no future breath you can watch and there's no past breath. This gives you your anchor. And then you bring in the other two qualities. Mindfulness is what keeps reminding you to stay here. And then there's ardency. The willingness to put your whole heart into doing this well. Because we're not here just watching things coming and going, we're actually actively trying to give rise to a state of concentration. And it's a skill. And with all, as with all skills, you have to pay attention to what you're doing, you have to remember what you were planning to do, what you've learned from your skills in the past. And there has to be an element of will. You want to be here, you want to have a the mind settled down. Because if you don't have that conscious will in place, then other decisions are being made further down in the bureaucracy inside you. And they can pull you off in all kinds of directions. So even though you're trying to stay in the present moment, you're pulling th some things in from the past and a lot of training and mindfulness is knowing exactly what to pull in from the past and what to put aside. And you're also exerting some will for what you want to happen in the future and what happens in the present moment. This is where the Buddha's analysis of how things work in the mind is really special, because a lot of what you experience right now is the result of what you've willed and what you are willing right now. It's a combination of past intentions and present intentions that create your experience here. If we didn't have this present input into the state of our minds, we wouldn't be able to meditate. So take advantage of that fact. Each time you see that the mind is about to slip off the breath, breathe in a way that feels really comfortable. We learn to use the sense of comfort in the breath. That's one of those points we remember from the past. To give the mind a good place to settle down. And if you have any chronic illnesses, this gives you even more reason to want to settle down with the breath and work with the breath in the present moment. Because that's one of the potentials that the breath has. It can help deal with illnesses of various kinds especially those that come from stress, overwork. And even with other illnesses, it can 
soothe your relationship to the pain. Because at the very least, it gives you another place in the body to stay. If the mind doesn't have any training, it goes immediately to the pain, immediately to the diseased part, and then stabs itself with the pain and the disease, or the knowledge of the disease. But if you train the mind, you can realize that even though there may be diseases here and there on the body, it's not the case that the whole body is in pain or the whole body is diseased. There are parts that you can make comfortable. Then you can stay there. And John Lee's image is of going into a house where some of the floorboards are rotten. And you just are wise enough not to lie down in the rotten spots. You lie down in the good spots. So as you make a survey through the body, as you settle in with the breath and start going through the different parts of the body, if you find some that are in pain, and simply paying attention to them with the breath is not going to make the pain go away, work around them for a while. Don't go straight into them. Try to find other parts of the body that are comfortable, that do feel some ease, some strength, and settle there. That makes it a lot easier for the mind to stay in the present moment. And at the same time, you can use that good breath energy in that good part and think of it spreading to the pained part and going right through. Say if there's a pain in your knee, think of the breath energy going down the leg and not stopping at the knee, going through the knee and then out the feet. That helps to prevent any tendency for tension to build up around the pain and to actually aggravate the problem. And as the breath energy is flowing better, that means the blood is flowing better as well. And sometimes an improved blood flow can actually help relieve some of the pain, relieve some of the disease in that spot. So these are some of the points you might want to remember, some of the points to keep in mind as you deal with the breath. If the mind were totally in the present moment without any reference to the past or future at all, you wouldn't know what to do. You would go by your instincts, and your instincts are often driven by ignorance. And so mindfulness is there to remind you there are other ways of dealing with the present moment, dealing with issues that come up in the body. Then you'll have your fund of knowledge as you practice. In the beginning we read and listen and get some ideas about the meditation. But it's through our own efforts to try to settle down and to do it well that we learn lessons that you can't find in books. that are tailored for your needs. So experiment with short breathing, long breathing, fast, slow, different ways of conceiving how the breath energy flows through the body. Or you can pay attention to parts of the body that you normally don't focus on. Think of the breath energy coming in and out of the body right there and see what that does. Say, for instance, the spaces between the toes or the spaces between the fingers. Years back I had a student who had Marfam syndrome. And she found that working with the breath in this way was really helpful for the pains that would come up. It's a connective tissue disease. People who have it usually die very quickly because the connective tissue in the body just shreds. They die around 20 or 30. She had managed to live to 50 and then passed away. I was at her memorial service and I had been asked to lead a guided meditation. 
So I went through the body with the breath energy. And afterwards, one of the women who got up to deliver a eulogy mentioned that the woman had visited her nephew. Her nephew also had Marfan syndrome. He'd gone in for a heart operation when he was 13. He came out and they'd given him a painkiller, but the painkiller didn't seem to be working for him. He had a lot of pain in his body. And so my student went to visit and she listened to his problem. And she told him, breathe through your butt. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> and then the woman delivering the eulogy turned to me and said, now I know where she got that. Now I never told my student to breathe through her butt. <laughs> She'd explored that one on her own. So wherever you find convenient, wherever you find helpful to think about the breath energy going up, going down, going in from the front, in from the back. Whatever you find works for dealing with energy imbalances in your body or pains in the body or patterns of tension in the body, that enables you to settle in, okay, that's fine. That's something you've discovered on your own. This is a basic principle in the forest tradition, that not everything is explained in the texts. What you do learn is what, what's called discernment that comes from listening and reading. But there's also this discernment that comes from thinking things through, making sense out of things. You've read this, and then you've read that, and how do these two things fit together? You try to think your way through it. But the real discernment is what comes from your own efforts to train your mind skillfully. And the ingenuity that you use to get past problems, that adds to your fund of knowledge. And John Mahabhava's example is of someone who goes to military training school and learns all about going into the battle. And the knowledge of that person as opposed to someone who's actually been in a battle and survived. It's knowledge of two totally different sorts. So right now you're in battle with your own ignorance. And ignorance doesn't show itself as just a blank spot of not knowing. It's a lot of assumptions. And it's learning how to see which of your assumptions are getting in the way. And so it's useful once the mind settles down to start questioning some of your assumptions about the breath, where you are in the body, how you relate to the different pains, and what the potentials for the breath energy and potentials for your ability to get the mind to settle down can do to change things. And even though what you may learn from your experience may not be found in the books, that doesn't mean it's not dharma. As I said earlier, the forest tradition does not have a meditation technique, I and mean, this is part of the reason. There are general principles in getting your mind to settle down, and we can talk about those, but your own specific issues and your way of getting around the issues will be yours. And as you learn to develop ingenuity in approaching these problems, that exercises your discernment. That plus your ability to be more and more sensitive to what's going on and actually to recognize problems where they are. Without, an ability to, without that ability to recognize problems, you can decide, well, my practice is perfectly fine and there's nothing more I have to do. Today I was, had a few minutes in the library and I happened to pick up a book, opened it to a page where the author said, once you see that there is no self, that's stream entry. And as we've been saying today, the idea that you see a particular, the truth of a particular thing and latch onto that as awakening, that's really dangerous. That's one of the corruptions of insight. But someone might say that they had that 
conviction and they feel that, felt that that took care of their particular problems and that was all that had to be done. And it's because they didn't recognize that there were still problems there. That's where their practice stops. So once you've dealt with the problems that you recognize, then begin to, to try to be more sensitive. Are there other problems that you haven't recognized yet that are more subtle? Then your ability to see these kinds of things comes from the sensitivity you develop as you're dealing with something as blatant as the breath, and then it moves into more and more subtle levels. So meditation is not like a factory. A lot of the meditation methods that we hear about came at a time when people in Asia were really impressed by the West, and particularly by the mass manufacturing techniques that we had developed. It could create lots and lots of guns and lots and lots of cars and lots and lots of things by cutting the process down to its bare-bone parts. And something that anybody can repeat over and over and over again. And there was a temptation to apply that same principle to meditation. Boil it down to a few very, very simple instructions and just keep doing it again and again and again. The problem is that once you have a set of instructions like that and you're simply told to obey, your ability to develop your own sensitivity, your develop, ability to develop your own ingenuity gets lost. As I mentioned today, a lot of the training that came with being a John, with a John Fung, and a John Fung's training with a John Lee, and a John Lee's training with a John Mun came with being his attendant. and learning where to put things, not because I was told where to put things, but simply to observe. When a John Fuang placed things in, in his room or on his porch, where did he place them? And then to note things for myself. Nowadays in the forest tradition, that opportunity to have one-on-one -on -one training is, is fast disappearing. Many of the the Johns just have scores of students. And you go to a monastery and basically there is a list of things. This is where the Ajahn's spittoon goes. This is where his bowl wiping cloth goes. This is how you fold it. And everybody gets told these things, simply so the monastery can run efficiently. What gets lost is that learning opportunity to learn something you weren't, were not told about something you learn through your own powers of observation. So remember that this is a lot of what is involved in training the mind. Recognizing a problem, and if no solution comes immediately to you, try different things. Your ingenuity gets developed, your sensitivity gets developed, and you begin to recognize problems you never that you never noticed as problems before. But with this background, you're more and more up for doing something about them, because you've developed the necessary skills. When something works, you remember it, and so have it there at your fingertips as something to keep in mind when other problems come up. But just keep going back to being as alert as possible. When an insight arises, the first question is, is this something relevant to right now, what I'm doing right now? If it's not, you let it go. If it is relevant to what you're doing, apply it. See if it works. If it doesn't work, you can put it aside. If it does work, okay, that's something to remember. For other things that come up in the meditation, you don't need to remember them. 
just working on these three qualities, ardency, alertness, and mindfulness. And they will provide the incense, excuse me, insights as they are needed. You don't have to go cluttering up your mind with too many old insights that were not really relevant to begin with. It's like the goose that lays golden eggs. The mind in concentration with ardency, alertness, and mindfulness will keep laying the eggs. And like so many stories about gold and fairy tales, the gold doesn't last. If you try to hang on to it, it turns into ashes and, and cinders. But if you use it properly, you get the benefit from it right then and there. Then put it down. If it worked, it'll be there in your memory to apply to the next problem that comes up to see if that's relevant. If it's not relevant, okay, then you look again. In other words, having these skills takes care of the question of where your insights are going to come from. you don't have to worry about being poor in terms of the resources of the mind. You've got what it takes to keep developing gold. By the way, that nephew was at the memorial service, and so after the service I asked him if he was still breathing through his butt, and he said yes. <laughs> he said it worked.
Anyone who would like to continue meditating is welcome to stay. Just ask that the last person who leaves turn out the lights. And see you tomorrow morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.